Well, how you guys doing? <laughs> Are we, uh, we're sheltering in place. We're getting the hang of it. I know it's been a few weeks since we've been confined to our homes. Uh, for some of us, it feels like a normal day. Uh, others of us who are not used to being home are like, oh, I'm married to you? Is that my dog? Where do I usually put my stuff? Because maybe we're not used to being home so much, and now here we are. Uh, but look, you're doing a great job. I know this isn't easy. I know it's a challenging time. I'm sure you've stocked up on pasta. I'm sure you've got enough rice and beans in the house to take you through the apocalypse. I'm sure you you worry sometimes, do I have enough fruit? Am I going to run out of bananas? How many apples should one have in the house uh, before it becomes unreasonable? These are questions that we're figuring out the answers to every day. And I want to congratulate you guys on staying home, keeping your distance, not doing foolish things in the time of a pandemic. <laughs> because if you're going to do foolish things, maybe a pandemic's not the right time to do them. I'm all for foolish things, just not during a pandemic, okay? So save your foolish things up and let loose once this thing is over. I'm making my own list of foolish things I want to do post-pandemic. <laughs> I'm not doing them now, so don't do anything either, okay? Stay safe. I need you guys out there to be healthy and to be uh, ready to go once this thing is over. So if someone asks you, you know, someone you want to be with, someone you like, they say, hey, come to this rave we're having in a really uh, small, hot boat. I'm going to say you should say no. I don't think you should go to the small, hot boat rave. Don't do that one. Wait until this is over and then uh, small, hot boat rave it all you want. Uh, you're all home, and you're listening to the show, and I appreciate that, and you're writing letters, which I also appreciate. Here's one. Dear Alex, your podcast has been a bright beacon in a pretty dark time. I own a pet store in Oregon, and I come to work every day to do inventory and get the place ready for what we hope will be a reopening that will happen very soon. Anyway, I just wanted to tell you that I love the show, and I think it'd be very cool if you added a video component so people could watch you while you do the podcast. Love, Sydney from Eugene, Oregon. Well, Sydney, first of all, thank you for the kind comments. I appreciate them very much. But to be honest, a video feed would not be a cool component at all. Trust me. You would just see me behind the console, surrounded by, well, I don't know, like 30 empty boxes of graham crackers, a flare gun, and a collection of penguin figurines. <laughs> and as you watch, you'll notice from show to show, uh, there will be more or less boxes of graham crackers the flare gun maybe it moves from the floor to the couch and maybe back to the floor again and some of the penguin figurines will be in a slightly different formation but do you know what will never change from show to show my clothes you'll be like oh that's cool he's wearing a stone roses shirt and then in the next episode you'll be like oh there he is again in that stone roses shirt maybe he did two episodes that day but then in the third episode you'll be like oh another one with the roses shirt hmm what's going on there sydney <laughs> This is quarantine radio. We get locked into, uh, I don't know, patterns. But seriously, Sydney, when the shelter in place gets lifted and I'm out there in the world talking to some of these people in person, yes, then we'll do a video thing. All right? It's a great idea. Okay. I hope your store opens soon. Thank you for writing. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. 
check this out. Keep us a win through the drama sin. You know we cannot make any exceptions. Roll over you on the way to the top of the star. Can he your petty objections? of the new regime which features my guest today on the program Elon Rubin. Let me tell you a little bit about the new regime and Elon Rubin. All right, so to get things started here, let me ask you a question. What was the greatest thing you did when you were 11? Think about it for a second. I know I am, and I'm not coming up with much. <laughs> I wrote a love letter to a girl who gave it back to me unopened. That wasn't great. I got a ribbon at a swim meet for a backstroke race of some kind, um, but I only got that ribbon because I hit my head and I came in last and everyone felt bad. That definitely wasn't great. I did get 93% on my Huck Finn essay, which was the highest mark in my sixth grade class, so that was kind of great, but I found the essay a few years ago, and though I remember it being kind of a high watermark for me, you know, an achievement that showed great promise for me as a writer— one sentence in the essay actually read, Huck Finn was an awesome book. For sure, not great. So, the greatest thing I did when I was 11 was, well, it wasn't much. I wasn't that great. But Elon Rubin? Oh, he was great. At 11, the San Diego-born Rubin and his band F.O.N. played Woodstock. And that landed the young drummer straight into the Guinness Book of World Records for being the youngest person to ever play the legendary festival. But let me back up. Only a year after picking up the drums, at age nine, Ruben and his band were on the Warped Tour. And Ruben was so great behind the kit, he was filling in sometimes for NoFX's drummer. So, as you can see, Elon Ruben hit the ground running. And over the course of his career, he's played with bands like Denver Harbor, Angels and Airwaves, Paramore, and Nine Inch Nails. Elon Rubin has been busy since he was nine. And he's still busy. He's the co-owner of Q Drum Company. He filled in for Fred Armisen for a week in February on the Seth Meyers Show. And his band, The New Regime's new album, Heart, Mind, Body, and Soul, is out now. And it's ferocious. A riveting blast of crunchy hooks, muscular drum fills, prowling bass lines, and big, loud guitars. It's an injection of energy that we could probably all use right now. This is a cool chat. You're going to like Elon. This is me and Elon Rubin having a conversation during a quarantine right here 
on Stereo Embers, the podcast. endorsement anyway so i'm always inside i can't say that i've been affected in the sense of you know going stir crazy or getting cabin fever and that sort of thing so uh, i feel pretty fortunate in that sense obviously they are scary times but uh you know i can't say it's really affected my day-to-day schedule yeah i can relate because i i'm a writer and it's a solitary it's a solitary art, and you're a musician, so we're kind of used to being alone. Exactly. And um, like I said, I mean, what I love doing is is writing and playing music. So I'm just in my room with all, surrounded by all my instruments. Uh, I have taken advantage of the fact that there don't seem to be any pressing deadlines of any kind. Right. So um, I've been taking advantage of the time to read quite a bit. What are you currently working on reading? Uh, you know, I've never read 1984, so I started that last night, but uh, it's the third book I've tackled in quarantine. The last, I finished one yesterday that was, um, I mean, the, the first two were kind of um, dark fascination considering the time, but I just finished a book on the Black Death, which was interesting, Yeah. and uh, I kicked off my quarantine reading with I Am Legend. Oh, yeah, you're, you're reading all the right stuff. These are all the right books to be reading during a quarantine. That's what I thought. I mean, my girlfriend thinks it's a little dark, but I'm like, hey, you know, I'm just kind of doing research. <laughs> so, yeah, but um, I'm just enjoying it and taking it one day at a time. Obviously, taking the proper precautions when I need to go out to food and whatnot, but I think the paranoia kind of ends there. I look at what you've done in your life, and it, you seem like a guy who you just – you're like a shark. You never stop moving. It, are you going a little nuts in terms of like you'd like to be out on the road or you'd like to be collaborating with more people, and right now that's difficult to do? Is that is that challenging? Um, it's not challenging. I mean I will say the touring side of things is very unfortunate, especially considering that we were out on a great tour with Silver Sun Pickups getting great responses every single night. And then before you know it, the, the rug gets pulled out from under the whole thing. So that was really unfortunate because I felt like some momentum was building up. But in terms of not being able to play live or so on and so forth, my thing is being productive. As long as I'm productive and I'm accomplishing something, mentally I'm a-okay. So whether that's playing live or it's recording or it's learning something, I'm fairly easy uh, contented in that in that um, regard. So it seems like like you've always had that. When when you were a kid, were you the same way? Were you were you always practicing? Did you have a kind of remarkable self discipline for a young guy? Um, I suppose so, but I will say that I've never been the type to let's say practice for five hours at a time. You know, I've I very early on realize that that would give you diminishing returns but what i will say is that i'm addicted to like i said accomplishing things but also keeping the the feeling of freshness alive and what i mean by that without sounding vague is for example i'm having a great time currently um 
learning a classical guitar piece, playing some piano, singing some stuff. And I kind of just bounce around from one thing to another. And that allows me to remain productive on multiple fronts without kind of hitting a wall on any of them because it keeps my mind fresh, you know? So I'll spend a good 20, 30 minutes doing each thing. And then before you know it, I've kind of made progress on multiple things as opposed to one thing. Yeah. So that's, that's the way I've always been, you know, and the more instruments I've kind of added to my, my arsenal, that's just the way it's been. You know, I'll play guitar for a while, play bass for a while, play drums for a while, play piano for a while. And in the, you know, as a result from that, often an idea will spring up, which will then turn into writing a song and, that's just the way I work. And these days, you know, my break is either sitting down and reading for a while or also taking advantage of the time to watch movies. You know, I've been very interested in the idea of film scoring and orchestration, so I've been studying a lot. I imagine you probably self-identified young at, with being a drummer, but now as you've thrown more and more things into the mix, how do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as a multi-instrumentalist or is your identity still primarily wrapped up in thinking of yourself as a drummer? Well, I suppose the answer is yes to both in the sense that, um, I mean, people see me drummer mainly unless they had encountered me first via the new regime so that's always an interesting thing for people who know me as a drummer and listen to my music they've already made the association with me playing the drums but um it's awesome when people don't know the other things i do and are just fans of the new regime you know that, that to me is is proof of the music standing up on its own two feet and not that i question that it does but it's awesome when you actually get that from a stranger, you know? But in terms of how I see myself personally, I mean, multi-instrumentalist is certainly more accurate. And although I wouldn't really 
put this out loud or say this out loud at, at the risk of, of sounding pretentious, I really do view myself more as a composer and the instruments are the instruments of say my orchestra or my symphony, whatever it would be. And the, the only thing that bothers me about the term multi-instrumentalist, I mean, not that it's inaccurate because it's totally inaccurate. It's just one of those terms that's kind of abused, you know, these days where somebody can play five instruments very poorly and consider himself multi-instrumentalist. And that's the antithesis of what I am. I mean, I've really put in my time in years, uh, you know, well, you know, well over a decade, really focusing on all these different instruments and practicing and, and getting good at them and learning and experimenting. And I've kind of developed my own voice per instrument. And as a result, I play all of my own parts because I know exactly what it is that I want to do. It's not the the, the gimmick of, hey, I play this, but I also played this poorly and that poorly, and I did all the stuff myself. It's like, no, I'm doing everything myself because I know I'm able to execute exactly what it is that I want. Hopefully that doesn't sound aggressive, but hopefully you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I get it. I totally get it. And I'm wondering if, you know, like, for example, if I'm writing – a short story, I find that when I return to poetry, it's actually helped me with my poetry. And I wonder for you, playing other instruments, does it inform how you approach the other ones? In other words, does playing one thing make you better at the other? That kind of cross-training, is that is there a value 100%, there? 100%. 100%. That is a very uh, astute observation, and it definitely works for music because Music, any way you want to look at it, is a puzzle of sorts. You are making multiple things fit with each other. And the more you know about one, the more you understand about how it best suits and complements everything around it. And that gives you a better sense of space in terms of coming up with parts. gives you a better sense of, of harmony often enough because you are making things work together. And, you know, you don't want to just, you know, double up the same melody on, on three instruments because that would get boring. So it really gives you a good idea of how to make everything work and best complement each other instrument. So, yeah, absolutely. Is your brain always in the game? Like when you're reading I Am Legend, are you paying attention to the rhythm of the sentences? Or when you're watching television, um, do, you, do you start, you know, what you see optically, does that make you sort of, always have ideas for compositions? In other words, are you always keeping your line in the water? I'm always keeping my line in the water. However, when I'm reading something, um, particularly fiction, which I don't do as often as I'd like, and obviously, you know, that's up to me. I, my preference is has always been history. I just love reading history, whether it be... It, biographies or actual, you know, period history, whether it be European. I mean, like I said, I just finished something on the Black Death. World War II is my favorite subject to date, but nonfiction pretty much is what I'm trying to say. But when I'm reading uh, a fiction piece and I'm really trying to focus, I really try to focus on the individual style of the author and see the way he phrases things and the way he describes things in the hopes that that will kind of add a tool to my toolbox when it comes to writing lyrics, because lyrics are the thing that come last for me, um, just out of 
creativity in the sense that everything I do starts musically. I write the chords, the riffs, the, the vocal melodies, so on and so forth. Then I piece together the lyrics to fit the melody, you know. So I would eventually like to start quite a bit from the lyrical aspect just to kind of flip everything on its head. But long story, way too long, when I am reading fiction, I try to focus on the style of the author to see what I can pick up for my uh, creative endeavors. Now, you and I are both Jewish guys. Uh, World War II is tricky, tricky territory. Uh, tell me what it is about World War II that sort of fascinates you. Oh, there are so many um, facets, and that's why it's one of the sort of historical gifts that keeps on giving for lack of a better phrase. But, um, yeah, mentioning being Jewish, I mean, the Holocaust is obviously a very interesting, uh, very interesting and dark chapter in history, uh, right. which my family was directly affected by. So Me I too. do have a, a personal attachment to it. But even then, that splinters off into the political situation that, sort of, you know, quote unquote, led to that, at least in theory. And then the military situation across Europe that helped facilitate the actual, uh, you know, the, the machinery that put that horrible thing into place. So there's so many elements. I mean, I do find the the whole military aspect and the strategies uh, very interesting. I find the, the political elements, uh, particularly in Germany, very interesting. And it's just a crazy period in time where you'd think that you could find um, Hitler, a Stalin, a Franco, all in the same time, within miles of each other. Mussolini, obviously. And obviously, Franco was dealing with the Spanish Civil War before World War II and wasn't directly involved with the war. But to think of these four very distinct historical figures living in the same time within a couple thousand miles of each other, it's just... It, it's incredible. And to think of such a such a destructive period in time where almost everybody has been affected by it to the current day, it's just, like I said, it's endlessly fascinating to me. So I, I can't really get enough of it. No, I'm I'm with you on that. And I always, every time I read about it, I always think, boy, I sure hope this turns out differently. <laughs> but it always, yeah. It never does. Yeah. And the thing that's, that's extra fascinating about it is, no matter how many books I read on the subject, you know, you feel like you get a grasp of, okay, I suppose I can see how or why this happened. But no matter what, by the time I finish a book, the first question is, but how? And that mm. just immediately makes you want to read another book tackling a different aspect of the same, you know, great tragedy. So that's just unbelievable. But um, for whatever reason, my thirst is never quenched with reading about it. No, I, I agree with you. And I saw I saw Jojo Rabbit and I thought there is a look at the Holocaust that we've never actually seen. It was such a refreshing um take on it, which I'd never I'd never seen done before. Yeah, I actually just saw that last week. Um I did really enjoy it in the sense that it was a very interesting take on well, a comedic take on the perspective of brainwashing and the silliness of fanaticism and i thought that was really interesting because yeah. whenever somebody mentions a fictional take on world war ii 
I am almost always uninterested because mm-hmm. I think the war was so interesting and just so unbelievable that you don't need fiction to portray it, you know, and usually I'm turned off by the idea of fiction, but I did actually find myself enjoying it. And I thought that kid was a phenomenal actor for his, his role. So that was, it was, it was enjoyable. Yeah, it was incredible. It's his first movie ever. Can you imagine? Well, he nailed it. That's for sure. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel that your that your Jewish identity has informed your art? Not necessarily. I mean, I do have a a taste for for minor chords and minor scales and darker music, but I do feel that maybe just the European culture that has been with my family for a very long time is definitely embedded in my DNA and my tastes artistically and musically genuinely stem from that. I honestly do believe that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I mean, I always um, expect the worst, so that's definitely part of it. (laughs) I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But but I I like what you said. And and I, I wonder sometimes if the things that we're drawn to, uh, are things that are that are sort of encoded in our DNA, like you know, like you were saying, like certain sounds that you're drawn to are sort of maybe distinctly Eastern European sounds. Mm-hmm. It's very possible. I mean, a lot of the uh, the religious melodies are within a harmonic minor scale, which is very interesting, especially you know, as opposed to say uh, very famous church music, I mean, a lot of Bach music, which is incredible. Bach is actually not the finest example because he has a ton of minor stuff. But when somebody thinks about church music, it's typically more major sounding. And um, a lot of Jewish melodies are extremely minor and dark sounding. So I have no doubt that if my ear is tuned to that sort of scale for that reason. Is there a family history of of musicianship? Uh, Only beginning with my dad. My dad was a um, a natural musician, and he played from about, I'd say, the end of middle school, maybe to the beginning of college. But he took the responsible route and got his degree and his master's and never really pursued music professionally. But it was within him. He passed down albums, and obviously the drums came directly from him. But um, if there is a history deeper than that, I don't know about it but I would say it all begins with my dad. What instrument have you picked up that you found the most challenging to take on? The violin. The violin was um, a real ego check, I have to say. But um, jokes aside, uh, it was definitely the violin. And it was because I, I picked one up, I think around maybe 16 or 17. And I'm a classical music fanatic, and it's the most expressive instrument within that world and i got one i got myself a couple of books i tried learning but the amount of time it took me to get uh a g major scale up and down somewhat in tune with minimal screeching took me so long where i thought you know what this is not the best use of my time and i do not have amount of time to really get good at this right now at this point in my life so i i called a truce i put it in the case and i haven't seen it since (laughs) i i feel like your your paths will cross again though 
I do, but I immediately thought of how incredible it is to start the violin at such a young age. I mean, having small fingers is an incredible advantage, and just being able to get the feel for it ingrained in you as a young kid was would would have been invaluable. So I see why people get started on that very quickly. Is there an instrument that you have your eye on that you have not taken on that you're sort of thinking about? Um, well, I just had a, a clarinet delivered a couple days ago, and I put it together yesterday. So we'll see how that goes. Um, as I told you, I'm reading a lot about instrumentation. I realize that I don't play a wind instrument of any kind. And I settled on the clarinet because it seems to be a pretty common wind instrument. It's fairly quiet. I think brass would have been terrible. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to start learning it hopefully i mean i started last night but we'll see how it goes i have no intention of being a clarinet clarinetist if that's the right term but um i think it'd be a good little uh a little study and having an understanding of a whole family of instruments that i've never played before tell me about someone like trent reznor what it, what about him musically do people not really understand because i feel that he has a, a startling musical depth that i don't think he gets all the credit for that he as he should you're right, and you know that was a great transition moment because he's actually a saxophone player himself, and he's quite good at it, which one would not expect. But uh, yeah, he's got some woodwind talent, I have to say. Um, That's surprising. <laughs> yeah, he did some on the last tour. I think it was a cool little surprise. But um, yeah, he is a great musician with impeccable rhythm and impeccable pitch. The pitch thing. I don't think people would assume, not because he's not in key, but because he has such an aggressive singing style from time to time, or a very frail singing style, you wouldn't assume that maybe his ear is is as in tune as it actually is. But, you know, if we're in rehearsals, he'll pick out the the harmony vocally and then find it on the keyboard, and it'll be perfectly in pitch. So if he's kind of giving people harmonies, he'll say, hey, you need to do the seventh. It's this note. He'll sing the note, go to the keyboard, and then tell the guy what the um, what the note is. And, you know, you can't mess around and do that. I mean, yeah, you can fumble around and find it, but the point is that it's already in his head, and he knows what he's looking for. He's actually fairly well-trained. I mean, he took a lot of, to my understanding, a lot of piano lessons as a kid, so, I mean, he's got a, a solid foundation in theory and whatnot, but add that with decades of experimenting and songwriting, and he's got a great combination of distinguished originality backed by uh, a solid foundation of, of musical knowledge. Being around someone like that must make collaboration much easier because it's so clear what they want. Yeah, I would say so in a live setting. Him and I have never collaborated in terms of writing music. Right. But he, he knows exactly what he wants from each player. And I think him and I are extremely similar in the sense that we want everything to be perfect regardless. So I put in the time and make sure that I'm ready to go from day one and I'm executing at 100%. And that's the way he approaches things himself. So him and I are always on the same page. I love to be challenged, and he likes to throw challenges people's way. So it's kind of a – it's a little – somewhat of a game at times. I mean, we mentioned the 
the the truth on the violin but he approached me a few years ago and asked me if i played cello and my response was not yet <laughs> he told me he's like well i think there are opportunities that would be cool within the set and if you think you can handle it i'll pay for your lessons and let's see how it goes and i played cello on about three songs they were rarely all in the same set but you know one to two times a night I would go up and, and play the cello and it was a great challenge but you know I took him up on it and I think it was a, a cool moment on stage that so, instrument seems challenging it is challenging but the fact that you can actually look at the neck from a decent perspective and the fact that the neck is so much bigger I found it easier to play or at least to, to start learning the violin you're looking at it from a very odd angle and the neck is so small that even the, the most subtle move in either direction will put you out of tune. Do you have a clearer vision of the new regime now um, that you've been at it for a couple of years? Do you know where you want to head with the project? Um, honestly, the, the vision has been the same from the very beginning. To always push myself musically, to always, uh, to never repeat myself and really to take everything as far as I can. I mean, I want listeners and fans of the new regime to always be expecting something new from me. And honestly, the sky's the limit. I wanna take this as far as I possibly can. And I'm very ambitious and driven. And I see this whole thing as a, as a fun and exciting challenge. And I'm gonna take it as far as I can. Well, you know, a real pleasure speaking with you. Good luck with that clarinet, dude. Oh, thank you very much. I'm staring at it right now. It's challenging me. I enjoyed that conversation. Elon Rubin of The New Regime. Uh, an amazing musician and a powerful drummer and a really nice guy. Thenewregime.com is where you need to go uh, to pick up the music and some cool merch. They have good stuff. Shirts, hoodies, that kind of thing. Uh, you'd look very sexy, I think, in a New Regime hoodie. So pop over to their site and uh, support the band during this very tricky time. Pop over to my site, alexgreenonline.com, and uh, see what's going on with me. Not that I'm not talking about it all the time here, but in case you want to see what's going on instead of hearing about what's going on, uh, that would be the way to do it. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms, so use the one that you're most comfortable with, subscribe, leave a nice comment and a rating, and tell all your friends. Let's close the show with a new song from the new regime. This is Knocking Down Your Door. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Wanna lend a helping hand? Your words have no aftermath. Hold on to the master
take you to the 